On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Peter Gabriel 4, Security. A group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter, Ken Gregory, and Tom Corcoran as we discuss the fourth Peter Gabriel solo album, Security. intro i don't know if anyone paid attention but um you know i i i sort of caved and called it peter gabriel four or security i kind of mixed it up a little bit and this was something that kind of you know got in my craw as as is wont to happen with me being a crotchety old man because everything i've you know everything i've read recently and everything else talks about you know it the fourth Peter Gabriel album and security wasn't really its title and this, that, and the other thing. And, and I, it always pissed me off. Cause I, I, I knew that this album was titled security. I knew it. And so last week when I was working in the library where I found those pictures and I, you know, the very first thing I, I pulled out on vinyl before I started my, my little tube sidetrack was, was this record. And very clearly, on the, the, the label, on the LP itself, it says, Peter Gabriel, security. I'm like, I fucking knew it. And I was going to take a picture, and I was going to get on a soapbox and, and everything else for this episode. And lo and behold, I'm, you know, getting everything set for, for tonight and taking my screenshots of the wiki page. And it actually talks about this. And it was only in the U.S. and Canada that Geffen slapped the name security on it. And apparently the name came really? from, from Peter, but worldwide it was it was released without a title in the manner of the prior three records. And so I had to eat some crow and I don't get to get on my soapbox and bitch about the name and everything else. But, you know, it's one of those things where the answer is neither black nor white. It's somewhere in the middle. He must have been hard to work with. I mean, in that regard. Well, and, and, and another thing I was going to say, and I, I may have even said it in the last episode, but you know me, I can't remember anything. Peter Gabriel is a fascinating creature. And, and he, by all accounts, has, you know, this very engaging sort of onstage persona. And his lyrics and his songs are, you know, very, you know, uh, evocative and, and, and whatnot. But I've tried multiple times to listen to interviews with Peter Gabriel, and he's a terrible interview. It, it's, I just, I don't, I've never been able to make it through one of them because I get so bored listening to all the things he doesn't say. You know, and, and so, yeah, I can only imagine, you know, what he was thinking of with this name thing. That's, it's interesting because I was listening to um, a couple of interviews today. Hey. And I actually fell asleep during one of them. <laughs> but I did the, the stuff that I made it through. I definitely enjoyed. 
so I didn't know if it was me or Peter. So listening to Joe talk, um, I'm glad that you know maybe it wasn't all me. Maybe it was like a, 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 a maybe partial at least. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I think, don't think you're solely to blame on that one, Tom. I I don't know if you would blame strictly the content, though. I think he does he does speak in a very soft sort of serious monotone kind of thing and and he he sort of talks softly so you almost have to like you know turn up your speakers um so but I, the the content a lot of things he was saying in this interview was was rather was rather interesting so i i maybe that also also depends on which which interview that you're listening to as well no, I, I made a comment that he was potentially difficult to work with, but that traces back to the Richard McPhail book where he knows what he wants and he, he is inspiring and people want to be around him, but he, he can be non-confrontational or, or non-committal at times. And, and he's, I mean, is it just me or does he seem to, oh, this is going to sound terrible, but it, he seems to have... What I would describe as the the stereotypical elevated artist approach, like I don't have to disclose the inner workings of my mind because you couldn't possibly understand what I'm talking about. You know, it, it's that sort of a thing that I think he just he. It's almost. The impression that I have, and again, I haven't made it through a full interview, is that he doesn't deign to explain his art in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and maybe that's being unfair. And, and the, the reason why I'm harping on this is when I was looking at the wikis, again, it talks um, specifically about a, a substantial, apparently, um, documentary on this record, which I have not seen. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Um that I don't know, you know, I don't know what's in there. But, you know, I, I do think this album, generally speaking, this album is one of probably the cornerstones of, you know, Peter Gabriel's notoriety. And, and a lot of that is probably on the, the back of Shock the Monkey, which was... You know, it's certainly, again, we're colored in the fact that all of us grew up in the same radio market, but you couldn't grow up in the Philly radio market without knowing Shock the Monkey. I, I don't know how often we heard it, but we certainly heard it often enough that, you know, it was, everyone knew what it was, everyone knew it was Peter Gabriel, and, you know, it, 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 it had that sort of impression. It was one of those things that we got for lack of a better phrase, beat with consistently a la, you know, another brick in the wall part two or something as we were growing up. Now, I, I will say that, you know, up until the time that I became a, a music appreciator, which was, you know, probably somewhere in the 18 to 20-ish range, I didn't know anything else off that record other than Shock the Monkey. And, you know, as I, you know, I, I told the story on the Melt episode that that was, you know, after So, that was, Melt was the first place I went and I sort of, you know, went and discovered the others from there. 
And and I don't even think that I owned a copy of this record. It was probably the last one of the of the original four that I bought. And likewise. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it took me a while to kind of, you know, get into a lot of this. I it at the time I always perceived this as being different somehow than the other three but I, I think it, actually it's a it's a pretty obvious extension from melt into so I, I think you know as I look at it now it, it's a pretty pretty obvious um, progression I'm I'm very much looking forward to talking about this album because I sort of have I sort of had an epiphany with uh, this album uh, and my sort of love for um, Peter Gabriel. I always thought that Melt was my favorite album, my favorite, my favorite Peter Gabriel album. Listening to this one so much over the past week, and even listening back to back to this to Melt, I really had to change things up. My, I mean, I really, I honestly can tell you that this far exceeds Melt in in my in my mind right now. Um, now I have been known to sort of change my mind at times, <laughs> but I, I, so I, I did, I, 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 I can, I can tell you that I listened to it a lot and melt a lot knowing that we were going to be talking about this. I unfortunately wasn't able to um, talk with you guys about melt. Um, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it, but I really, it was interesting. Like I just everything about this album. I, I, actually, one time I, I actually I, I went through both these albums back to back twice, and I was just I was really shocked at how much I, I liked this album and how how much richer it was and how much more texture I thought it had, and specifically the rhythms. I mean, this is like the rhythm. Bible. I mean, I, the rhythms on this, I, I can't even give you guys another album that even comes close to it in, in this sort of pop realm. Uh, I was shocked that I didn't sort of hear this before, but you know, that's, that's why, you know, we, we love what we do with this because we sort of, we discover things after hearing them a different way. And we're always sort of redefining how we how, how we hear things on this on this podcast and and this was one of those times for me and this was like a sort of a, a palaver moment if you want to call it that where i was like oh and this is different than what i thought this this should have been my flagship um gabriel album and i had been hearing it a different way so i i think this is a, a really a, a wonderful album so let's chat it up yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it's it's funny you you say it that way, Tom, because I I have this recollection, and and everything I just said about Peter Gabriel being a, a terrible interview, uh, years ago, um, I there was an interview that I and I didn't hear the whole thing, but there there's been this sort of quote in my brain that I've heard Peter Gabriel talk about. And and he was talking about songwriting and how for him it always started with the rhythm, and you know, and and when you listen to Security, you you can't help but think about that because mm. because you, I mean you're right the entire 
record almost is built around the drums and percussion. It's it's amazing and it's fascinating. And it's yet another example of Peter Gabriel having monster, monster popular hits in ways that are completely, you know, out of the playbook. It's it, it just no one else did things the way Peter Gabriel did. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you, you said Shock it. the Monkey. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hit is called Shock the Monkey. So, you know, Joe, I, I kind of, this is probably a bad, uh, bad, ana- uh, like um, analogy or comparison, but I, but this is exactly what I thought of while you were talking about Peter Gabriel. He's like the Bill Belichick of musical interviews. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> but, but I mean, but think about it this time, like he's always been the front man. He's always been the storyteller. He's been interviewed how many times? Like he's probably just so tired of, of being asked the same lame brain questions by, you know, every single person. Um, and, and Hey, that's part of the job, I guess. But, um, but yeah, you, you said it, he doesn't seem to want to divulge any kind of creative process or, or anything. I almost, it's almost like he's bored. Can't be bothered with it. Reminds me of, uh, Bill Belichick. Yeah. That, and I think that's actually, I mean, that is kind of how he comes across. And, and it's almost like he has no desire to talk about what he just did. Because he's already thinking about the next thing that he's going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I tend to take a more positive spin on that, you know, such that if he were to reveal too much, it, it would not only kill it for the audience, but possibly kill it for him. So, so, so why dissect these things? Like, really, what is the point? Like, if you enjoy it, enjoy it. But he, 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 he's, he's not there to second guess the art or yeah amen ken which is probably why i can go all these years without actually knowing what the song santa cinta is even about so well, um, <laughs> he, he he's got a couple of um he, he he has the most blatant honest representations of cultural appropriation i've ever heard in the first two tracks yeah which is ironic because Right, right after this is when Genesis, his old compadres, uh, probably commit the greatest cultural misappropriation with illegal alien. And, and, and I'm so glad that you guys brought that up because, it, it, and and Kent, did you use the phrase cultural appropriation? Yeah. Okay. Because it's it's not. I I, I think it's an honest appropriation. I think he's treating these. Yes with a reasonable level of understanding and respect as opposed to you know the the, the treatment of native americans by genesis on then there were three and of course the whatever we want to call the illegal alien on the uh on the self-titled genesis album that's a different story altogether. Let's just hit this uh, timeline here. There, 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 there's so much to get into. Uh, this is uh, coming off of Peter Gabriel three, which was in May of 1980. So we've quite quite a bit of ground to cover. Uh, we've got Steve Hackett solo. We've got Yes Drama, Jethro Tull, uh, Kansas Audio Visions, Hawkwind, Mike Oldfield. Uh, I always. Album, by the way. 
I always like Alan Parsons' project, Turn of a Friendly Car. John Anderson, Song of Seven. So much going on in 80, 81. Uh, Camel, Rush, Moving Pictures, Frank Zappa, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, uh, Electric Light Orchestra, Time, Steve Hackett, Genesis, Abacab, King Crimson, Discipline. Uh, and then we jump over into 82. I mean, it's just really fascinating, um, this whole period, because 81, newly formed bands, Asia and Queensryche. I mean, it just, it just, it just, you know, if you think about that, this is really an odd blend of the old 70s folks and the new 80s folks. And uh, with uh, 82, we've got the self-titled Asia, Mike Oldfield, Jethro Tull, Camel, Frank Zappa, Genesis, Three Sides Live, King Crimson Beat. And finally, September of 82, Peter Gabriel, Four otherwise artificially stamped with the name security nice and and uh I, I would like to submit a few items from the billboard hot 100 from 1982 as well Ooh. because <laughs> this may balance some of the or at least counterpoint some of the comments that i'm going to make or maybe i'm not really using my words well tonight this will provide context of maybe some of the production points that i might make throughout Things like like the number one hit in 1982, if you remember, Olivia Newton-John's Physical. Wow. Oh. I Love Rock and Roll was a big hit in 1982. 1982 was also the year of Eye of the Tiger. Oh. Wow. You had Centerfold by the Jake Isles Band, Don't You Want Me by the Human League. <laughs> Jack and Diane. And by John Cougar. Tainted Love by Soft Cell, which somehow still seems to permeate our society. And two more, 8675309, Jenny Jenny by Tommy Tutone. And mm -hmm. to me, the, the best one on this whole list is Toto's Rosanna. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That still holds up. And when I think of like the, the production and the sound of Rosanna... And many of those others that I mentioned, there, there's just a sort of natural warmth and honesty to the music that I don't feel is present in security. For me, security is a very cold and almost industrial feel to it at times. Really? Um, the, just the, the, yeah, it's very, um, you know, cause that, that I, that, point as we go through the songs maybe we'll, i'll be able to point it out i don't know but there's a point where i feel like i was listening to this and i was like man this is almost like the beginning of that industrial sort of like constant 16th note <laughs> you know running through the entire song and it has to do with all that rhythm you were talking about joe but for me as i Peter Gabriel love, makes gary newman warm and fuzzy <laughs> <laughs> i i love this album but it does have that very cold sort of metallic, almost industrial feel to it. Interesting. I, I had never really thought of it that way, but I can see that I, I, for me, maybe I think there are aspects of this record that are like that, but I've always found the drums to be extremely warm 
Um, maybe because I always think of, you know, the rhythm of the heat and things like that. And the, the, uh, sort of the yellow uh, tones on the, uh, on the cover. I don't know. I do hear a lot of plastic. Like my brain is screaming Remo heads. Like there's a lot of close top miking and a lot of what's going on in the, 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 the toms in this. And we're still in the Peter Gabriel, no symbols era. Which, you know, it's interesting because, again, it never occurred to me growing up that there weren't any symbols there. But once you hear it, you're like, oh, okay, great. But but Jerry Marotta, if I recall correctly, was not on Melt. So now you have someone else coming in. Was Jerry Marotta on Melt? Fascinating. Okay, Marotta does three tracks. On Melt? On this. Just One, three five, tracks. So who else is in here? Morris Pert, we've heard his name before. Timbales. Oh, programming. We have yeah. some programmed drums. So, so let's 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 go to the actual particulars, and then we can suss all this out. Yeah, Jerry Maroda was on, played on Melt significantly. Was so he? okay, so yeah. so he he knew the drill then. Um, yeah, in terms of what we we're doing. So the uh, security. Um, as Ken mentioned, was released in September of 82. It was produced by David Lord and Peter Gabriel. It was released on the labels Charisma in the UK and Geffen in the US. Personnel, as we've been discussing, Peter Gabriel is vocals, programming, and sequencing, synthesizer, piano, and certo. Tony Levin on bass guitar and Chapman Stick. David Rhodes on guitar. Jerry Marotta, drums and percussion. Larry Fast on synthesizer. John Ellis, backing vocals um, and guitar. Roberto Lanieri, uh, treated saxophone. Morris Pert, timbales and percussion. Um, Stephen Payne, programming. David Lord, synthesizer and piano. Peter Hamill on backing vocals. Um, Jill Gabriel on backing vocals. And the Ikome Dance Company on Ghanaian drums on track one. The track listing is The Rhythm of the Heat. San Jacinto, I Have the Touch, The Family in the Fishing Net, Shock the Monkey, Lay Your Hands on Me, Wallflower, and Kiss of Life. And in a uncharacteristically brief intro in the Wikipedia page for this album, Peter Gabriel is the fourth eponymous studio album released by English rock musician Peter Gabriel. In North America, the album was titled Security, a German-language version entitled Deutsches Album, German album, was also released which isn't really helpful, but there we are. Some interesting information about David Lord. Our friend Roy Harper, uh, he produced uh, Roy Harper's work of heart in 1982. He also did the Icicle Works, the Icicle Works. Really? Yeah. Oh, that album right? is so fucking good. Yeah, seriously. Uh, one tidbit that's <laughs> that I find extremely fascinating is that in 2015 – he was convicted of keeping a brothel. Uh oh. Really? Which apparently oh, in, in the United Kingdom was not actually a crime until 2003. Oh, um, whoops. Didn't get the memo, he, I guess. He was, uh, yeah, subjected to a, he had a, uh, he had a prison sentence that was actually suspended. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that means he didn't go to prison. It's so rock and roll that I don't know what that means, isn't it? <laughs> this is suspended uh, 
but he Keeping was uh, a brothel. He was subject to a curfew, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. curfew for four months, and he had to wear one of those electronic tags. So there you have it. Keeping. That sounds so British. Keeping a brothel. Yeah. Like we would say pimping. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear that. I guess the producing wasn't, wasn't paying off in the uh, 2000s like it was in the 80s. Oh. Kudos to the research and development department for that. See, I was geeking out out over here trying to figure out how many peter gabriel albums larry fast did and you're like outpacing me in the cool department <laughs> and incidentally larry fast is just brilliant on here i mean he he's come up with so many good sounds and and i, th I think we've given him credit where credit's due but uh san sento a lot of the synthesizers are, are continuously brilliant and, and I, I was going to recognize Larry Fast for his contribution here because, you know, and, and in very broad strokes, I'm going to make the statement and you guys can shoot me down if you want. I think this album, and so to a certain degree, but a lot of this album really creates the mystique of Tony Levin. This is where, whether... Tony had developed or Tony, you know, Peter had learned to trust Tony or, you know, whatever happened. This is, this is the Tony Levin that makes me go, <laughs> you know, I, and, and it's just every time I stop and listen to something, it's like, oh, listen to fucking Tony. <laughs> and even on something like, like San Jacinto, you know, where he's maybe not shredding like crazy what everything he does is just so delightful and near perfect i, I just it, oh it's just so great yeah i have a tony levin note for that song and um i was listening to that uh, today with headphones on and he just does these he like rides up the bass and then at the right time he just he'll just let like a really low note just 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 yeah. go and it's just so full and and that's where i might disagree with you paul about the cold sound of this album i i find this album to be very warm in part due to tony and in uh, uh, another part due to the lower percussion i find this much more warmer than melt um and i think every time i, I hear tony do some of these like really tasteful licks and let some low notes um just just let them go um that sort of create creates a warmth for me so um i don't know it's just it's interesting where uh, I, I might agree with you that it's warmer than than melt melt is sort of like maine in the winter and <laughs> and security is more like new jersey i don't know <laughs> Still both cold uh. Well, if you guys recall, John Giblin was impersonating Tony in the previous Melt. Uh, Tony only appeared. I do recall that. Yeah, that's right. On I don't remember. And we, we just marveled at how Tony-like it's. So, so, so perhaps, Joe, with your theory, this was destined to be, you know, Tony Levin's Peter Gabriel. It could have happened in the previous album, but instead it, it happened on security. It, it really did. So if we want to get into this, the rhythm of the heat is there a better album opener anywhere oh god 
I mean, the, the way this album opens, and, and we were kind of, you know, joshing about this on the text earlier today. But once I got, once I discovered this album and got into it, and, and I'm going to try to, you know, rein myself in here, but I, I can say right off the top of the bat, this album could be The Rhythm of the Heat and San Jacinto and nothing else, and I would be 100% satisfied. I, I honestly don't need anything else. I could play those two songs in repetition for like two hours, and I would still be, you know, having goosebumps everywhere. It's it's so freaking good. It just blows my mind. But going back to the rhythm of the heat, you know, you put this on, and I mean, the last thing you heard from Peter Gabriel was was Melt, which, you know, and again, I love Melt. I think it's fantastic as an album, but you don't know what you're going to get. And and the way the way that this song sort of builds and and the drama and tension that it creates is just it's mind-boggling and i can only imagine we always talk about you know what it would be like to be you know the teenager at the time right we were a couple years away from this but i can only imagine you know having that experience of running to running to the record store and coming home and putting this on and, and you know being like what's he gonna give me and, and to have that, uh, uh, there, there's so much here in terms of of layering, right? Um, you've got you've got the different layers of percussion. I don't even know what the hell makes that dong sound that comes in, um, but it just it kind of turns uh, me real to quick though, Joe. It, let me tell you something real real quick. Yeah, that sound is the same sound that Michael Jackson uses in Beat It and the same sound that Judas Priest used is in it? Love Bites. Ah, yes. Ah, ah, <laughs> and because <laughs> I was listening to that today, and I'm like, in the um, the family and the fishing uh, net, it goes, boom, boom. And then I immediately want to start singing like no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, and, and, and when it comes in, it's so fucking huge. It's, mm. it's massive. And, 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 and we talked about this a little bit in Melt, but, you know, Peter Gabriel now has several different vocal gears. And so he starts to, to bring those out as well. Oh, you this know, is and, peak vocal. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and when he gets to that, the rhythm has my soul, and he holds that soul forever, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, and then and then you get the the percussion flourish right after that. It is just just mouth watering. Yeah, I call this uh, peak vocal, Peter, and I contradict myself so much in the palavers. I know I'll I'll do it again and. And so, but um, he's just so naked here, I would say, and maybe more produced on so. So we, we, we like the highly vocal and highly naked, Peter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on these first two tracks, I will say that the, the lack of symbols seems, it doesn't seem contrived in any way, shape, or form. It, it feels very natural. At this point, like, why would you ever want symbols? Right, and exactly. Yeah, 
But I, you know, I feel like that that's the perfect way to describe this song, right? Because if you if you like this, dissect it, it is it is such an amazing build the whole entire song. But even like the way, uh, you know, like even like like when he says the rhythm is below me, the rhythm of the heat, the rhythm is around me, the rhythm has control, the rhythm, I mean, inside me, it's it's kind of that it has the building box blocks to be very contrived and very sort of yeah. almost tongue and cheeky, but the way it's delivered, the way it is executed is, I, I don't know that it's creepy, but it, it, it's not creepy in a way that, that uh, is like Stephen Wilson creepy. It's, but it, it gives you that feeling it has For an me, ominous at least. feel to it. It, it is. There's yeah. this ominous feeling when he says that the rhythm is below me, the rhythm of the heat. You feel it. It's like it is. It's engulfing him, you know, and it, mm. you get that sense like it's happening. It's like yeah. there's a sort of desperate. Oh, my gosh. I overwhelmed. That. It's happening. That That's a Yeah, that's a that's perfect. <laughs> I will submit the first two songs are uncoverable. I would be thrilled to be proven wrong, but just the, the pure artistic vision of being complex without being overly complicated. I have not heard reproductions of The Rhythm of the Heat or San Jacinto. I agree, me neither. And there are so many Gabriel covers out there, you know, acoustic, full band, whatnot, karaoke. I've never known these two epic tracks to be reproduced. And and ironically, he plays these live and he reworked both of them on the New Blood tour as well. Rhythm of the Heat, absolutely wonderful. San Jacinto, equally as wonderful and in some ways perhaps even better. Now, again, this is... I guess we go from from Africa to, you know, some undescribed um, region, probably in the American Southwest with Native American um, culture. And the reason why I say the American Southwest is the the line high upon the Red Rock, which mm -hmm. always makes me think mm -hmm. of the the you know the Rocky Mountain area. And, and, you know, so that, that's the only reason I say that. But this song flows so well from Rhythm of the Heat. And again, Ken, this is going to come up after this song. You know, the, when you talk about tracking and the way that these two kind of just flow seamlessly into each other. There's just, there's so much about this. You know, this, this is a song that connects with me kind of lyrically. And, you know, I like the fact that this is, you know, a, a song about a, a Native American's fear of, if you will, of of their culture being subsumed by, you know, by white America, I guess. It feels like dying slow, letting go of life. And, you know, again, you have this same sort of dramatic build up to the chorus here. And that, that chorus of, I hold the line, I hold the line that, um, 
what is it that brings me through? Um, help me out with the line here. The line of strength that pulls me through the fear. Yes. The line of strength that pulls me through the fear. Oh my God. Seriously. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a moving image for me. It, it just, it, ooh, I love it. And if you listen to this in headphones, the chorus is fascinating. Now, I don't know if it, if it just happened to be the, the headset that I was listening to today. Because again, I don't normally listen to these things in headphones. But when I was listening today, in the chorus, the guitar seems to flow not necessarily from right to left, but literally from lower right to upper left. Mm. That's the way I perceived it today. <laughs> so, so the guitar comes in, and, and a lot of the guitar on this record is exceptionally understated. It, it's almost like, I, I don't know anything about David Rhodes, so if you guys have anything, let me know. But it, it's almost like he studied at the the altar of late model Mike Rutherford of, mm. you know, thou shalt be un, undistinguishable from anything else around you. But in, <laughs> in this particular case, like I said, it, it's kind of cool when, when the guitar goes from, from lower right to upper left. It sort of ascends, if you will, which goes with this, you know, line of strength that pulls me through the fear. And then Tony kind of comes in underneath that and wobbles a little bit back and forth between the mm. left and the right. And, it, oh, it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. But that's, I think that's, that's part of the, um, the originality of, of this album and, and even Melt for that matter, that, I mean, how many songs really sort of start and end around a guitar riff and to have really rich music with, um, you know, you know, sort of 80s pop songs mixed in here and still be before. But it's sort of understated under the under the guitar. So it's actually refreshing. This is I mean, it really is refreshing in, in, a, in a lot of ways to be hearing music like this, where ground zero is a different ground zero yeah. than yeah. we've been we've been really hearing before. I, I think that's that's an excellent uh, excellent point. It's one of the things that you know. Again, Peter Gabriel was doing things differently, but he was being successful at it. That's that's not easy to do. So this is a funny song because the first time I saw this or heard this song was when I saw it live. Um, during the first time I saw Peter Gabriel at the very early stages of the So Tour. This is when I went with my friends from Sears. It was such an incredible experience to watch and listen to this song for the, for the first time. Uh, it's almost made me want to keep it a mystery to you know to not really explore too deep to the the meaning of the song and oh yeah be, because it's just it's just so powerful live. But what's funny is that and. I, there's been so much going on this year about this this particular topic, right? We've we've talked a lot about cultural appropriation and the use of of uh, the United States of America utilizing Native American culture in for our sports teams and um, and other things inappropriately. You know, the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins, 
have changed their name this year. And there's a lot of people that find this extremely controversial, right? Like, oh, I can't believe they're changing the Redskins. And I've had several conversations with my my uh, young adult sons because they don't get it. They're They're like, you know dad i'm 20 years old it's always been the washington redskins i don't understand why is it so offensive it shouldn't be a big deal and it's like and it's 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 one of the more frustrating conversations because you know i just don't think they're there yet in in their uh mental mature maturity if you will to understand that just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that that it's it it, it doesn't have an impact to people doesn't have an impact on those who are members of that culture or that heritage. And this week after kind of looking at these lyrics, I was like, damn, I I should just have them listen to this and just, (laughs) and just basically (laughs) say, here are the lyrics, listen to this song until you get it. From uh, genius.com. A young Native American undergoes the trials of a coming-of-age ritual in which a medicine man leads him up into the mountains and purposefully subjects him to a rattlesnake bite. The youth can only earn his place as a brave by making it back from the wilderness. The San Jacinto Mountains overlook Palm Springs, California. Here, the exclusive resort community contrasts with the poor Native American communities on the other side of the mountains. As the young man begins his journey, he passes a world in which his culture has been appropriated as a whimsical novelty for the enjoyment of affluent white people. There you go. Brilliant. The, the other thing about this, uh, witnessing this first ever live was, I don't know if you guys remember on the So Tour, the stage design had these sort of movable lights that were on these uh, tracks and the arms were sort of pulleys, right? And the lights would bend down and get real low to the ground. They would lift up and they would roll across the stage. And at the very end of San Jacinto, he is singing, uh, I'll hold the line, hold the line. And he goes right up to one of the lights and it was incredibly powerful. He goes right up to one of the lights and he's singing to the light. Mm-hmm. And on the last hold the line, he opens his hand and he has a mirror in his hand oh. and it projects the light across, you know, the, the air into the, into the audience. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I always thought he was saying, hold the light, oh. not hold the line. So again, my entire life, <laughs> like I was walking around the neighborhood listening to this in my in my um, ear, like he, he, earpods, and I was like, "Is he saying hold the line? <laughs> have, have I had have I had it that, that wrong all this time?" <laughs> and sure enough, consulted the lyrics, and I was like, "Wow!" So it's amazing, and that's why I kind of said with the interviews, it's like it's amazing that that mystique of this song persisted for literally my whole listening life of Peter Gabriel. I got nothing else. So like I said, I could finish the album now. And uh, you guys want to talk about that? That's great. Joe, I was afraid. Ken wondered about a cover. There are some covers of San Jacinto. The one that I will guide you towards 
is the London Contemporary Voices and the Twelve Ensemble. It appears to be an acapella choral version of San Jacinto. Now that works. That works. Okay. I, I suppose my mind was limited to the karaoke crowd, but okay. Got it. I yeah. wonder if Jerry Marotta's band ever performed this. Mm. Mm. That can be tasteful. Could be. So now we have a bit of a record scratch moment as we move from the beauty of the first two songs into I Have the Touch. Now, in an attempt to recreate some of the drama that we often get off air in preparation for these episodes, I am going to specifically call out Ken comparing I Have the Touch to Safety Dance <laughs> by Men Without Hats. Now, <laughs> you I, I could have just read the text. I had, do you want me to read the text? I will yes, read the text. Yes, yes, Okay. Quote me directly. I, I have it up, actually. I was, I'm, 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 I'm ready for this as well. Oh, Tom, I would Peter. love to hear your reading because I think, I think your words would have such sarcasm in them. <laughs> Peter Gabriel album. This is Ken. I'm quoting Ken from our text earlier today. Peter Gabriel albums are so foobard. Security isn't necessarily immune from the bullshit on car. Song sequence is such a clumsy affair. One song ends and another song pops me in the face with no particular sag or breath. I say this while hearing San Jacinto end and some bouncy house weirdness begin. I Have the Touch isn't a bad song, but it's clearly the safety dance of the Peter Gabriel catalog. <laughs> now, I, I had never invoked safety dance when listening to I Have the Touch. But after reading that text, I listened to this album shortly after lunch today and I could see where that would come from. And, and of course, me being me, I was I was interested. So what is the temporal connection between security and safety dance? Now, it turns out that safety dance was recorded, apparently, according to the wikis, sometime in January or February of 1982. So oh. I do not think that either one of these songs influenced the other. I think it, it is just a happy coincidence that they happen to have whatever relationship they have with each other. Um, so I don't think that it's a, there's any actionable offenses here. It, it, it seems to just be a natural and simple coincidence. But, but Ken, I think your, your point is on some level valid in that this is, I have the touch is a departure from, the sort of somber beauty that is the first two songs. This is not somber in any way, shape, or form. I think at this point, the lack of symbols does feel somewhat contrived in the context of this song, in my opinion. But I will say that, you know, while this isn't my favorite, there is something about the lyrics and the, the vocal delivery here that just makes me kind of giggle because Peter really taps into this obsessive, almost creepy kind of, of need of this person to just glad handle people. And it's not like he's molesting people. It's not that level of creepy, but he has to have physical contact 
which is you know it and, and it's it's just presented in a way that seems kind of fun and dare I say whimsical remarkable it's folks like this who actually suffer during quarantine and covid exactly yes yeah i kind of felt like as i listened to this i thought wow this song is so perfect for the current <laughs> right because that's what we all want right yeah. like uh it's well, just um it, it's just crazy and, and and so so ken you talked about you know people like this are the ones who suffer during the uh the, the current pandemic so there's a there's a friend of mine i've i've known her from work for years we we met literally the the first year i worked so i've known her for almost 20 years at this point and and our relationship has gone through a lot of twists and turns and and we've really developed a a, a very solid and an agreeable friendship through all of that and and we like each other professionally and personally and it's 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 really been nice and with me not being on campus i haven't seen her in a year almost a year and with 2020 being the way it was on a lot of of levels i was i was not in contact with with you know a bunch of people and she had reached out to me shortly you know right around thanksgiving and and you know we agreed you know i i sort of needed to get myself together and so she was very nice and her and her husband invited me over for a appropriately social distanced you know, dinner and, and backyard chat around the fire pit, which I thought this sounds perfect, just what I need. And so we agreed upon what our protocol was going to be and this, that, and the other thing and, and, and everything else. And I walked into the backyard and I was, I just, I couldn't not give her a hug. I just, I couldn't. And we both, you know, turned our heads really far in the other direction from each other in order to do that. But I had to have that contact with her because I hadn't seen her in a year. So I get it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, you know, um, when I first read, you know, Ken's text, depending on the mood I'm in, I sort of, you know, go in a, 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 a different direction. I, I think that at the time I was, you know, took slight offense to it because I love the song so much. And I even love the safety dance song. I mean, I, I really do like that song in part though. It's this is very interesting. Ken in part, there is something to, to Ken's statement that I'd like to explore with this because Peter Gabriel has been a big influence on a lot of people, a lot of different styles of music. Um, we can get it all into the different styles, but I mean, Peter Gabriel has been, if you would ask generally uh, a group of musicians on the street, who were they been influenced by? Generally, Peter Gabriel may, may come up more than other, other people. And that crosses mediums, different styles. The one medium that we don't talk about a lot is the sort of early 80s one-hit wonder stuff, um, like the safety dance. And I think when you listen to uh, – there's a parallel here that I'm getting to, but, but if you listen to I Have the Touch and Shock the Monkey, these are like pop songs with depth. They have texture. They have things that we've been talking about. Um, 
there's something deeper to the lyrics. There's something deeper to certainly the rhythms, but they sort of bring out feel of the of the early 80s and the sound of the 80s that we all grew up with. And I know there are different facets of that. You have your hard rock, you have your metal, you have your, your rock, you have your, you know, one hit wonder, different things. But in particular, I have to touch and shock the monkey really is the beginning of a movement. And I, I would go as far as to say there are, um, there you really go back to, to melt which with certain songs on melt, but these two albums is really the beginning of a movement. And I will say, <clears throat> I'm not going to rehash an old comment I made about um, Peter Gabriel being the David Lee Roth of, Pro of Prague. <laughs> but I true. will say that if you listen to early Van Halen, there was a movement out of early Van Halen that came like the hard rock hair band stuff that most of the stuff we make fun of. Um, and they, they sort of, they sort of took the core of the beauty of Van Halen and sort of perverted it into, you know, eighties silliness. And I think one could say something similar about uh, these songs, um, you know, shock the monkey and the sort of one hit wonder type of, you know, Gary Newman type of things that you guys, you guys brought up. So Ken, it, 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 it's interesting that, you know, Ken brought this up because uh, there is some truth to it. And I, but it's, it's a, I guess it depends on how much you, you love the other stuff. And I, I, I am sort of a, a sucker for a lot of the, the one hit wonder stuff. But if you listen to the instrumentation in these songs, you can actually hear them in other songs in the eighties. And we'll, I, I really think this is a pivotal album beyond uh, even what we're, we're, we're talking about in, in Prague, because uh, we are, we're, we're hearing a lot of things in this album and melt in, in, a, in a very pop um, orientation in, in, the, in a pop context. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Ken, because it actually spurred uh, a, a, a parallel to me with, with, what we're, with what I was listening to. So, Tom, are you, are you suggesting that um, Peter Gabriel was a part of that movement or, or that he informed and sort of was a pioneer of, of that sort of, of what I'm getting from you is like that sort of 80s, I don't know, whatever was going on in the 80s? Because I, 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 I'm trying to figure out if you're saying he was part of it and just the very best part of it, or if he was sort of a pioneer and in influencing those that came after. Well, I, actually, Paul, I, I would say both. I mean, because mm -hmm. he has these songs, um, you know, a song like shock the monkey, um, which is, you know, a part of a, everyone's growing up in the eighties. Um, and then I think that the, these songs really influenced um, a, 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 a style of music and, yeah. um, you know, going back to, uh, going, going back to melt. So the fact that he has had these hits um, sort of puts him in, in the picture. He's certainly more than a one hit wonder. I'm not putting him in that category by right. any means, yeah. but uh, I'm saying that he has um, had yet the success in 
in in real time as these other artists mm. um, but he's also influenced them as well and i can i can really hear some of these i mean i sort of half jokingly said that about you know the the family and the fishing net with the sound that uh, michael jackson had and right and judas priest i'm sort of half joking around about it but actually i'm kind of serious i I, you know, I think i think i think it's the exact same uh pad i think it's the exact yeah. same keyboard pad it's it's a like it's a fascinating uh point because i can't even tell you how many times in the last week i'd be listening to this and i'd be like man that is like the quintessential 80s guitar sound right there or or, or just something like that right the the sounds the the textures so many times it's just it is it is 1982 and the mid 80s 2AT and yet i would have never even thought about that like I would have, if you would have said, "Oh yeah, Peter Gabriel," you know, he was using all the same type of. I would have been like, "No way, no way." Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. It's a, it's really interesting when you hear that. Huh. I had a fun exercise in listening to "I Have the Touch" and then pulling up "Safety Dance," uh, but when I went backwards, it wasn't as much fun because <laughs> "I Have the Touch" is probably. Uh, maybe like 110 beats per minute where safety dance is probably a solid 120. It's a, it's a lot slower. So I, I, I like the escalation. If you're going to listen to them both, put I have the touch first, then go to safety dance, and then you're having a party. If you want to have some fun, read the, the wiki page on safety dance. It's a fascinating origin story. Hmm. That, that too. The, the one thing I'll say about I have the touch, well, two, two things I'll say. First of all, to start and end around rhythm is something unique that I, I, I don't know. Correct me with, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't know anyone who's really done it to this level where um, everything is understated. I mean, maybe not Tony Levin, but I mean, um, cer certainly the guitar, you're right. I mean, the guitar is definitely understated and, um, you know, maybe second to, to Peter Gabriel's voice, and you know he's he's sort of leading the the charge here, but under that you really have the rhythm, and this is something that there's been a lot of great rhythm stuff that we've we've talked about. There was a John Travolta movie called Phenomenon, yes, which I remember really liking, and I remember seeing it in the theater. And this came out like post Say Anything, post Peter Gabriel becoming like huge and you know household name kind of uh status and i remember being in the theater and hearing this this track play and it was like a it was like a redubbed you know re-recorded version of it and like i'm sitting there watching a movie and i just kind of lit up in the movie and i'm kind of, it was one of those moments where looking around thinking i think this is peter gabriel because it was just like the acoustic guitar playing in the background and i was like i think this is Peter Gabriel. And it's almost like one of those things where you're looking around to see if anyone else is getting it. <laughs> and uh, it was a, it was a fun, fun moment. And it, I remember it being a pretty, pretty stripped down and like sort of acoustic version, but still had that kind of driving beat to it. The other oh. thing that I was going to say is sure. I think that this song in particular uh, informed Trent Reznor's approach to uh, pretty hate machine and his approach to industrial pop if you will Neat. with the consistent constant 
six, eight, 16th notes going in the background. This song starts, I don't even know what it is. It's like a mix of keyboards and guitar. Everybody's, there's this constant going through. I was driving around listening to this and I was like, that's like an industrial, that's like an industrial music move right there. Right. And, and it, it, I, to me, it almost, it almost makes this, makes this song except for, you know, when he's like cut my hair, you know, whatever. And he gets, and nothing seems to trees on the, uh, on the big falsetto, which just freaking yeah. blows me away every time I hear it. Well, listening to the album years occasionally with uh, Stephen Wilson, he he would probably take you back to Kraftwerk and Tubeway Army and whatnot. But but bringing it into more of a public focus, sure, give give Gabriel some credit. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, he's probably right. The family in the fishing net. Yep. Don't like it. <laughs> Paul, ah, I love it. Love that, Ken. So, that well, it, it, there there are a couple things about this, right? So, Paul, you know, you, you're sort of the, the the poster boy for not necessarily paying attention to or understanding um, song lyrics or meanings, right? Right. So, imagine my surprise when today I, I, <laughs> I pull up the wikis and I, and I see written down that this is a song comparing a modern-day wedding to a voodoo sacrifice. I'm like, okay, I hadn't, I hadn't really gotten that, but all right, cool. There's, that's That's great. There are um, those dark places again. And, and, and this is, you know, this is one of those songs that I think at first blush, it, 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 I would maybe agree with you, Ken, but, you know, working at it, I, I kind of dig this song. And what I find most shocking about this song of all the songs on the album this is one of the ones that shows up on plays live the family mm. and the fishing net yeah are you kidding me <laughs> they chose to do this one live and it it actually kind of works it, it's just it's uh, talk about a ballsy decision wow i understand artistically how it has a place in the album and in the live set and and, and we need this and you know i i, I I can't think of the genre that it's in. Maybe it fits into a graphical or a physical medium, like, like something that would have been trendy in the late 70s or the early 80s. It, it, it's kind of sparse. Yeah, it's very sparse. It's. I feel like that's part of the reason why it works so well in Plays Live, because it, it's not as sparse. There's more of a yeah. constant keyboard going and can I totally know where you're coming from? There's just something about this song that, you know, that I, every time I listen to, I think, ah, this one's not so great. And by the time it's at the end, I'm like, oh, I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's for me, it's almost like the Tormato of Peter Gabriel. You know, if, if I don't listen to it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that song. But but like you, Paul, halfway through, I'm like, yeah, OK, I'm on board. I, I love the song and um, it's, it's all about see the rhythm and, and the melody. I mean, Peter Gabriel really nails on this album melody. And of course, you know, going back to Salisbury Hill, I mean, he obviously has always had it in his career, but um, this, 
this album in particular, he really finds his voice where you just his he, he really finds his voice and there's just a beautiful melody that you get sucked into. And it's sort of right in the pocket of a deep the deep drums. And it's very cinematic. And it sort of lets you it puts you in a space where you're sort of thinking about it's sort of evoking your imagination. Um, and I think that just having space with, with percussion and a beautiful melody and just the, the way that's produced, say in this out and in, in the song in particular, I think works really well. So I, I think again, um, it's just, it's just a beautiful song. Ken, you had made comment at the top of the episode. Um, I think about some of the, recording techniques and and maybe it's too early to to talk about this and maybe this isn't the the right time but am i alone in thinking that generally speaking the toms here sound absolutely delicious i mean we're always quick to bag on shitty sounding drums but these you know they're they're not they're not the the huge bombastic drums of doom that you know will will maybe get excited about in in you know the the mid eighties or, or things like that. And they're not they're not paper like they're they're Goldilocks drums. They're just right. Yeah, they really yeah. are. They really are. What I said before is I'm hearing a, a mic head. I'm hearing a lot of plastic. I'm hearing. The classic Remo head with the black dot in there. Yeah. But um <laughs> that that's what a drum is. And, and and it's a very perfect, clear representation of the drum, you know. And you could make it sound more like wood or you could make it sound more like metal or yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, the, the the range of drum recording on here seems to be just right for each song. Tom, you must have an opinion there about the drum sounds. I think that they they really nailed it on the low end to really bring out Peter's voice. I mean, it's very easy to drown out other instruments when you have all this low end and not just low end. There's a lot going on with the dynamics, the uh, dynamic range here. And it's, it's easy to sort of drown everything out. Um, and of course, vocals are not something that you want to do that with. Uh, so I, I think that there is really an art here and that we're going to find throughout Peter Gabriel's career where he brings out a lot of low end and just really hits you right in the stomach with the sounds of the toms and things like that, but doesn't go berserk. Um, you know, I can just see someone of less talent or less experience sort of bringing out uh, too much timpani and, and too much low end and just, just sort of going, going nuts and, and really forgetting that you, you really have to have a song there. You really have to you know, bring people in start middle end finish. And I, so I think that I'm, I'm glad that there isn't an over the top sound here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, there isn't um, some of the craziness that we hear later in the 80s because 
the melody really comes through and just, you know, it, it, it really hits you in the heart. I hate to sound so corny, but I mean, it's having that low end mixed with, with the, the melody. And I think is really uh, part of the success of this album. So I, I guess to answer your question, if, if there was um, even a question, I, I think that it just, it works for what it is. I mean, could there be louder, more richer sounds? Yeah, but it, it works the way it is. And mm-hmm. it works mm-hmm. in the early eighties. I mean, this is, I mean, in 1982 and this is working. So mm-hmm. um, I think this is, um, I mean, this it, is, this is right. wonderful. It, it bears um, bringing up the fact that this is a new wave album. I mean, it fits right in with Blondie, Talking Heads, The Police, maybe The Cars. Um, this is two years after one of the biggest uh, Talking Heads album, Remain in Light. And the uh, production kind of bears that. Yeah, and yeah. if I if I could just clarify that despite my earlier comments about the geographical coldness of this record, I do think that the drums sound freaking amazing. <laughs> um, just, for, just for the record. Just for the record. I'm going to put it down. Down, down, down. You know, real quick, in our 1980s episode, just let that you go know, we talked about then Melt. And we I left. I was on mute. Players. And we, we talked about sort of the, the bridge between Prague and, and more modern sounds. And, and when we're, we're talking about Melt, um, this is the exact thing here as well. And, and Ken, you brought it up with parallels to talking heads and, and, and whatnot. I think this is, it is, and, and you're right, Ken, but it's just so great to hear the depth that, that Prague brings it. That, that Prague brings that. And it's just, it's such a breath of fresh air. And, you know, that we started to hear in Melt, but now that we're hearing it in security with the, to another extent, um, it's just, it, it's just really interesting to hear the sounds that we, you know, like the Talking Head album. And I, I totally agree with you. It, it is sort of, on the lines of those, but it's just a, a smarter version of it. And with the Prague, you know, with this Prague background, it's sort of like, sort of like the reason why they, ah, that, that ah moment of, okay, that's why we're hearing this and going back to Genesis and, and things like yeah. that. So yeah, this is, um, this mm-hmm. is wonderful. I, I would like to say, I, I do find it funny that, that Joe paused to wonder out loud whether it was too early to bring this topic up. Cause after all, we've only been talking for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't been quite that long, but <laughs> okay. So we turn the, we turn the vinyl over and we get shock the monkey. Now again, shock the monkey is, you know, it, it's, for us, it was one of the staples of rock radio growing up. It's a song that I think we all, on some level, are very sort of fundamentally familiar with. And and I don't even know what else to say about this, other than the one note that I did make while I was preparing for this episode. And it, it sounds painfully obvious, because it is, but it's not something I... I had necessarily explicitly thought of before, but this song 
again, is all about Tony Levin. This is, this is Tony Levin. And I freaking love it because of that. Well, it holds up. I mean, there was a video for this, right? You guys yep. must yes. have consumed not, not a, some not of that. Not a great video. You can still see it on Spotify when you play this song, actually. Okay, so the, the wonderful thing about this, it is all Tony Levin if you're in a vehicle or on headphones in a proper system, but it holds up on a crappy radio or you know earbuds barely hearing the bass i mean the, the song works on so many different levels as you know all all professionally mixed stuff really has to these sure. days but but yeah yeah it, it really is a major bass song but it, it the mix is so crystal clear even if you're just listening to the top end I remember when my sister introduced me to Peter Gabriel's So. She was uh, she had borrowed the vinyl from her boyfriend. She said, Paul, you need to listen to this record. It's really cool, but I have to give it back to my boyfriend tomorrow. So uh, listen to it tonight if you want to. And I'm like, OK, cool. What is it? And she was like, it's the new Peter Gabriel album. And I and my reaction was the shock, the monkey guy. <laughs> it was that moment was almost as as a as a like a head crasher as it was like wait he was in genesis what <laughs> the shock uh, the monkey guy <laughs> that's 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 the way this song uh is and i will say this i i will put forward that as much as as great as this song is in many levels vocals it's a triumph. Bass, amazing. Conceptually, it's they just pull it off so well. I submit this is like the misunderstanding of security, this song, for me. Wow, that's oh, okay. That's a that's a heavy statement. Now, are you implying then, Paul, that much like misunderstanding this song? is perhaps off the trend line with the rest of the album? Or are you saying that it's a sappy, popular piece of schlock in the middle of a gorgeous album? Nah, it's not, it's not the latter, for okay, sure. Good. I don't think it fits, you know, overall with the rest of the record. Um, and, and, I, and I tire of it, you know much the same way that I tire of misunderstanding as a song, but certainly not, you know, I, I think from an artistic perspective, it's a bit more of a, an accomplishment than misunderstanding. No disrespect. No dis. I, I understood. Cause I, I seem to recall we were not very kind to misunderstanding. Um, and, I, and, and quite honestly, misunderstanding is one of the reasons why Duke did not make it into my top five list for our, wow. our extravaganza. <clears throat> that is, oh goodness, that's like. I, I mean, I have a lot of great. I mean, as a song, misunderstanding. You want to pick it apart? It's phenomenal songwriting, guitar. I mean, it's there's so much great stuff going on there. But the, put that in the right, in, put that right in the middle of Duke, and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Designed to sell albums and probably did so very well. Yes. This is also victim, this song, of that curious thing that happened. I guess it happened throughout all of popular music where 
they like knew this was going to be the single. So if this even makes sense, it seems to have been mastered differently or louder, or maybe yeah. it was just mastered instead of the rest of the tracks just being mixed. I don't know. But like, there's a clear difference when this song comes on, when you listen to the record, they're like, okay, yeah, this one was mm-hmm. destined mm-hmm. for radio. Destined. I would say the songwriting is, is focused in a really good way. Um, you know, whether, whether it's about jealousy, as he says, or animal testing or what it's about, he, he, he maintained the ambiguity without getting all John Anderson and and weird. Like he, he has a lot of metaphors in here. He covers a lot of ground. There, there are a lot of animal references that could go bad and somehow he keeps it in his lane. I don't know if that's just because the music is so good or his delivery is so good, but the words, no matter how weird they get, don't really scare me. It always sounds like he's on point. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And, and, you know, Peter Gabriel is generally very good about that. It took me years to ever hear these lyrics, Fox, the Fox, rat on the rat. You can ape the ape. I know about that. Um, fascinating, but it, it all fits. I really like it. So moving then on to lay your hands on me. This is, you know, this, this is a very sort of minimal approach to this, but, and this, this is really where, what, what I mentioned earlier in the show, the, these layers of vocals, right? Cause Peter brings out all these different gears and sort of piles them on here. And it, it, it ends up being just a really, really powerful song. Is this the song where he would, he would crowd surf? Yes. I, okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, it's totally off the beaten track and, and literally has nothing to do with the song itself, but that picture of, of him being held up by the crowd with his arm like sticking out in front of him from plays live is one of the most powerful images mm. that I can recall from any sort of, of album that I've ever seen. Like I, I can always sort of picture that. And, and that's what I always think about when I hear this song. Mm. Yeah, me too. Nice. Yeah. nice. And, and, and this is honestly the, the reason why I said, you know, when I, we were talking about uh, the family in the fishing net and I asked if it was too soon to bring up the drums. The reason is the note about the drums sounding huge is here on this track. Yeah. Oh yeah, they sound pretty good. Yeah, they do. I, I mean, I mean the the thing that's you know, I mean you you brought it up from the start. You know, there's so much going on, percussion and 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 drums, and you know, there's sequencing going on, and some of that sequencing is very much percussive in nature, even if it's not a, a legit like drum sound, right? Yeah. And then the the real drums that get overlaid on top of that, particularly here. They sound so good. I mean, it's the, you know, to your earlier point, Tom. It, I feel like they are ahead of their time a bit, right? And and they're done so much better than, you know, it's like everybody's about to be like, oh wow, look at the gated verb and let's make everything, and and they're kind of like, yeah, we we've already been there and done that, and now we're gonna we're gonna do that with reverbs and or um with like a little bit of um EQ. 
uh, filters and uh, and flange, and um, it, it just sounds freaking great. It really does, and, and especially for the year. I mean, mm. it's just uh, thinking about 1982 and, and hearing this and it, is astounding. And, and the thing that's, that's kind of cool is that like some of, the, some of the stuff, some of that rhythmic percussion carries through all the way through like us, like Secret World things like that like it it never it never really stops it just keeps building and it's always so tasteful you know yeah and i think that's important right the the development or progression in the peter gabriel solo catalog is is fairly projectable in, in at least in retrospect it's plottable i think maybe is is a better word in, in regards to that and that's why i said initially i thought that this album was sort of off trend but i, I think it's very much in trend and and it really does, like I said, between, you know, if if you talk about the catalog as a whole, I'm I'm gonna you know create my my narrative here. Carr was was all about Peter Gabriel figuring out how to make an album on his own. Um, Scratch is figuring out to a certain degree who Peter Gabriel wants to be, and. Melt and security are really, I think, about Peter Gabriel exploring how to be a songwriter and a singer in a way that works for him and and sort of establishes his path. And then at that point, he he really has has compiled his toolbox, and so comes out of that, and everything just launches from there. It, it, that's mm. that's the narrative I'm going with. Seems right in line with what happened. I let I, I I can get behind that. Oh, you said it. Iconic imagery, very well done with the drums. I, I'm right there with you. Absolutely, no, no irony, no jokes. Just it, it's perfect. <laughs> and so the next song, Wallflower, is was for me a sleeper. I I owned this album for probably 20 years before it it struck me on the head one day. Wait. Wallflower Flower is a beautiful, beautiful song. You know, it, it like I said, so it, it took me a long time, but once I had sort of that moment of realization, I'm like, I, I'm I'm almost itching at this point to get there. Not that I don't <laughs> like some of these other songs, but this is after the first two, this is probably the only other song in the album that that really gets me, that connects with me sort of on an emotional level. I Amen. like the rest of it. But, but after the first two, it's this one that, that really gets me. And I, I'm not saying that these are about the same things. I'm not saying that they're connected. But for me personally, coming at this and, and my musical sensibilities developing the way they did, there's, there's a, a Holloway girl type feel about this. And nice reference. And, and and so I I learned to love Holloway Girl before I learned to love Wallflower. But but I think that that sort of connection is what m led me to realize how beautiful Wallflower really is. And, and so, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying there's any sort of connectivity or causality here. It's just that's the way the path is wired in, in my little twisted brain. Um, 
but you know for for me this is one of those examples of you know that that Yamaha piano being so important and it's a great example of how Peter can take something relatively simple and make it so so powerful I did not digest this song for years I, I discovered it a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this I I think I vaguely recalled the melodies but like you said it, now it, it it touches me above you know the other songs and digging into the human rights component peter gabriel wrote wallflower about the atrocity of human rights violations with inspiration drawn from stories about polish solidarity trade union leader lech walesa's arrests right. now uh I, I i i you know i have a degree of some kind of polish heritage and, and paul uh you too i don't know if if you remember but lech walesa was was frequently in the news so i just remember that name and such you know, unfortunately, I, I don't think the legend held up because he just became a politician like any other politician with uh, mistakes and, you know, human side. But but in the Americas, uh, you know, from a faraway news lens, Leck was an icon and, and, and he needed to prevail in our minds. He was the good guy. You know, growing up when we did in the middle of the Cold War, solidarity was a huge part of that, you know, and that's that was part of the whole big deal about David Gilmore's Alive in Gdansk because the Gdansk shipyard apparently was where Solidarity began. And so you've got David playing, you know, A Great Day for Freedom there, which, you know, it, it, there's, there's a whole lot going on there. But, you know, and, and I guess this was a song that ended up being very closely associated with, you know, Amnesty International and a lot of things they were doing. So, it, you know, it's one of those things where at the time I just wasn't, I wasn't astute enough to understand the importance of this, but now that, you know, I'm a, you know, relatively, you know, aware human being, it's like, oh, yes, this, you know, it, it really does. It, it's a beautiful expression of something that is is tragic. And and again, you know, Peter has the ability to, to do that, you know, much like he did with Biko. He takes something that is a tragedy and, and ends up making a beautiful, lasting, impressioning anthem out of it. And Clearly a sequel to Biko. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's, and this, this, this goes back to, you know, I think we're, we're all on the verge of, of really what sets Peter Gabriel apart. This honest perspective of some of these other cultures. And from this point forward and and it doesn't when peter gets that global stage you know and and he's already started doing this right with biko and and with this peter is not afraid to utilize his his platform to affect change yeah he founded womad in 1980 as the uh world music arts and dance festival and that's you know, was supposed to be his funding vehicle for his human rights work. Now, did, if memory serves me correctly, didn't he go broke on some of this? And he did a gig with Genesis at one point just to get out of debt. I honestly don't know the uh, the backstory there. 
But that that would not. Be, I, I would believe that story. It did not all go according to plan over through, throughout the early eighties, but uh, it, it was very well intended and and yeah, yeah, the song catches some of that spirit. I like the Yamaha piano, and uh, this is. I mean, I, I'm not going to recap all the great things that you guys said because it hit me very similar. You know, overlooked for years, and kind of reminds me a little bit. I think because of that piano and some of the the early dynamics of Undertow. I don't know if you guys yeah. uh, uh -huh. got any of that. I also am going to suggest that Fish was a big fan of this song as well. Oh, okay. So so he had uh, a bunch of acts, including. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, I don't recognize all the names, the Chieftains. Uh, but they, they spent so much money on it, he had to do a show with Genesis that was called Six of the Best to, to generate the money to, to make up for what happened with uh, Womad. <laughs> and and that, that, that would have been October 1982. So uh, just right around the time of this album, he 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 was still knee deep in in human rights, but but learning that it's a expensive proposition to get into these big concerts. And then we finish up with with Kiss of Life. Now, Kiss of Life is is really for me at its its core. It's really the the Marota Levin show, um, but there is obviously a lot more going on um, on this track, and it, it's sort of a very you know, it's an upbeat way to to sort of close out things. Uh, again, after for for me, there's a bit of an emotional letdown after Wallflower, but I I generally I I like the song. The song has like the perfect the perfect some the guitar tone is like perfectly wedged in between like the police and like Digital Man, and <laughs> and I love it. And I, and I love it. It also has like the keyboard sound from like, uh, you can call me Al in it too, which is a little, <laughs> little unnerving for me. You guys are going to kill me. I mentioned safety dance, but this is definitely Gabriel's Macarena. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Jeez Louise. Oh. Well, I can see we're just overwhelmed with things to say about Kiss of Life. Yeah. This is a little bit of a downer, you know, just, uh, you know, given the places that we've been on this record for me, this is, this is just sort of a, a really smooth landing. The credits are rolling. I'm gathering yeah. my, my <laughs> items to leave and, and I'm just moving on. I, I, that's, that's probably not a bad way to describe it. The credits are rolling. You know, it's not something you're, you know, you're just like, yeah, okay. Do you, do you have your phone? Where's my yeah, purse? Right. You know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this has all the elements of Peter Gabriel, but it doesn't have staying power. Like, I don't, I, I can't, you can't remember it as well, or maybe at all. But when you're listening <laughs> to it, you're, you're like, you, you, you like it, you're enjoying it. It just doesn't, it's not on the same level as the other song. So, you know, it, it's um, certainly not a bust, but it's, it's not Peter Gabriel's uh, best by any measure. It's a little bit like the end of Lamb, and it does sound like closing credits music. It does sound like you're, you're, you're the, everyone's coming down to the stage at the end of the game show. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. So that brings us then to the end of Peter Gabriel's security. Um, you know, I, I and 
there was there was certainly a lot to get into here. I'm kind of I'm surprised we actually managed it in one, albeit a two-hour episode. Um, but we did manage it in in uh, one episode, and I think you know I think we covered all the things that I certainly wanted to talk about, and um, we got into some very good um, sort of connections from this, and and it almost sounds like you know we. We almost think of this, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, this is almost like a, a fulcrum, a, a nexus point between, you know, 70s and 80s, Prague and New Wave. There, there's there's a, a, a crossroads going on here that, um, you know, Peter's sort of at the center of all of these things. He's, he's drawing inspiration from and he's giving inspiration going forward. Um, as well as charting out his own path into the future, which is, you know, as as we mentioned, is is going to be, you know, just explode uh, on on the next episode when we talk about so, which is, you know, I mean, groundbreakingly huge, and and the fact that, you know, and we talked about this in the Genesis episode. Um, it, it's just it's a fascinating that that both so and invisible touch broke so huge at the exact same time it's mind-boggling and you know you had uh you had Hackett with GTR hanging around at the same time it's it, mm. it's a bizarre sort of of confluence of events but you know I, I'm I think in a lot of ways and we'll get there next time but you know I'll I'll throw out a little teaser I think dare we get on our our high moral horse artistically so kicks the shit out of invisible touch yeah yeah it's not really a fair competition but yeah 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 Yeah. no but and and i say that as someone who absolutely loves invisible touch i think it's i think it's brilliant Mm -hmm. but yeah i think yeah i i think in terms of an artistic achievement I think that I think the arc of the two bands are slightly different, though, at this point, because I would oh, yeah. look at what Genesis is doing right now and say artistically they're more grounded than than you know Peter's really just getting there now. Yeah, with with these with these last two efforts, but yeah, I I the thing that struck me what you just said, Joe, about you know his own you know being influenced, influencing outside of himself, and then and forging his own path he becomes ridiculously popular and successful commercially. And he does it in a way that is, I think, completely unique to him. And, and he's incomparable to anything else happening when, when so comes out. And um, it's going to be fun to talk about that. It will be. We'll, we'll see if we can do that in one episode or not. So mm. any closing thoughts on security here before we, we call it a night, gentlemen? I'd say it's a true solo album based on the fact that he did vocals, programming, sequencing, synthesizer, piano, and additional drums on San Jacinto. Like he maybe could have pulled off a version of this alone. He was so deep into it and had his hands on everything. Now, thank goodness he had his, his usual cast of characters, uh, but he's quite dedicated at this point and quite productive impressive yeah this may not have been the commercial success as so but i think this is a a groundbreaking album in its own way and it's and it's 
in its own uh, space. I think this is um, this this is uh, I'm, I'm, I was really happy to talk about this and 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 go through these songs because this is a wonderful album. David Lord probably was the perfect person at the perfect time. I mean, after going through Bob Ezrin and other well-known names, maybe this was the chemistry Peter needed. All right. Well, gentlemen, as always, thank you. And um, yeah, I look forward to talking about so in the next episode or two. Until then, gentlemen. you've enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we, we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on facebook instagram or twitter we are at Prague pala on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is Prague pala that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Oh, shit, I forgot about Birdie. Ah. Fuck. We talked about doing Birdie. We have to do Birdie. Hey guys, I'm sorry. You guys know Nolan. Yeah. Hey Nolan. He, Cheers. Hey Nolan. Nolan. Just, he just turned 18 just now. Oh, 18. Happy birthday, yes. dude. Oh, sorry. So that segues perfectly to lay your hands on me. (laughs) 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 Which which somehow I I think is actually about a different subject matter. No, yeah, yeah. Break, 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 break. Okay, clear reset. Breathe. (laughs) Oh, come on. Breathe, breathe. (laughs) All right. No, no, no. Okay, take two. Go. (laughs) That may not even be able to make the outtakes. Ken doesn't. Ken doesn't want a strip club segue. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not in the bloopers, not in the year-end highlights. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been a, sh- a heck of a week.